With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good evening and blessings. And welcome to another installment of the Gist of Freedom of Space. This show is produced by acclaimed historian, educator, and author, Leslie Gist and serves as our weekly live online discussion to celebrate the African-American experience by honoring all the people, past and present, black and white, who, with faith and focus, are preserving our rich history through literature, the arts, the skilled trades, and the humanities. We thank you for joining us tonight, and we'd love you to be a part of tonight's discussion by calling in with your comments or questions to 347 324 55 Five, two. Um, you're listening to the Gist of Freedom, um, where you can get all of your resources on African American history. I'm pleased to be joined with Dr. Pinky Miller, uh, who is one of the graduates from Eastside High School, which was the basis for the movie Lean on Me back in 1989. Um, as her website describes it, it was very fitting. Uh, you had in quotations the real student of the bullhorn and baseball bat-toting icon, Dr. Joe Lewis Clark. Take us back uh, to that period of time, Eastside High School. How did you get enrolled in the school, and what was your experience like? Well, first and foremost, thank you all for having me. I truly appreciate the opportunity. But taking you back to 1982, <laughs> when I was 13, 14 years old, um, <clears throat> Patterson, New Jersey, for those of you who don't know, was a, and still is at this point, a very poverty-stricken um, area of New Jersey. Um, Eastside High School was uh, going through some major, major changes in the sense of some very drastic um, things were happening. Actually, right before um, I was to attend Eastside High School, a teacher was stabbed, Mr. Piambino, a teacher was stabbed by a student at Eastside High School. There were so many negative things going on. There was a high rate of um, drug activity. There was a high rate of uh, teenage pregnancy, high school dropouts. Uh, a bunch of students were at Eastside High School, but they weren't there to learn. They were there doing uh, things that they should not have been doing. Um, and as a matter of fact, Eastside High School was one of two large high schools in Patterson, New Jersey, and those students who lived in the area of Eastside High School were to and had to attend Eastside High School. I was actually scared because I did not want to go to Eastside High School like many of my other classmates as well because of all of the violence and all of the negative uh, publicity that was happening and things that were happening at Eastside. But um, Eastside High School was my only choice. And I remember my first day of school <laughs> as if it were yesterday because I was scared and had to walk um, up to the high school, and it was a monstrosity of a building. The, big, the building was so <laughs> large. It was scary. And um, Eastside High School had about 3,500 to 4,000 students attending. And when we walked into the school, me and my best friend, <clears throat> 
we walked into the school, and as we walked into the school, we heard this real loud voice that sounded, you know, we didn't know what it was. And as we were walking in, we heard this man saying, you know, walk to the right. This is the new Eastside High School. I am Mr. Joe Clark. I'm your new principal. What happened in the past is not happening now. You're in, you know, your Eastside High School. Welcome to the new Eastside. And so we all had to then walk and walk to the right. First of all, we're scared, and we're walking into this building, and this man is screaming at us with a bullhorn. We didn't know. We didn't understand what was going on. But as, you know, as the days went by, we learned that, Number one, <clears throat> Mr. Clark laid down the law. He basically let us know if you did anything to disrupt our school, fighting, talking back to teachers, disrupting class, um, you would be suspended for 10 days. It didn't matter basically what it was. And it was, it was, the, it was a new era. It really was. So he basically, now, you know, go now ahead, I'm sorry. Now as a student, um, I'm, yeah. I'm assuming that before you went to school, you heard about the reputation of this, you know, this Dr. Joe Clark and how stern he was. Was was it receptive? I mean, did the students there appreciate that kind of brass environment? Well, this is the thing. <clears throat> Mr. Clark was the brand new principal when I was a scared little freshman in 1982. So I heard about the negative things that were happening at Eastside because all of my older siblings attended Eastside, and actually some of my siblings were involved in some of the negative things that were happening at Eastside. So I heard about all of the fights, all of the negative things that were happening. Now, when Mr. Clark first got there, there was a lot of um, a lot of students did not necessarily agree with what he was doing. There was a lot of backlash, um, but you had these about a thousand freshmen that were coming into New into Eastside High School who <clears throat> were scared. So a lot of us looked up to Mr. Clark in the sense of, okay, we heard all of the negative things that were happening. Now we have this brand new principal coming in and he said he's gonna change things. Let's see what he's going to do. Okay. So, yeah. and, and talk about your personal interactions with Mr. Clark. Oh my God. Um Mr. Clark <clears throat> personally was like a father figure to me in the sense because I grew up without a father in my home, and um, Mr. Clark was very stern. He had a very uh, dogmatic leadership style, not only with students but teachers and administrators as well. But with the students, he was dogmatic and told us, he told us, <laughs> um, you know, if you needed to go comb your hair, if you needed to iron your clothes, he was like the father figure that said, okay, this is what you need to do in order to be successful. He let us know that. First and foremost, our education was our way out of the ghetto. He told us that we had three strikes. We had two strikes against us. First of all, we were black and we were poor. Our, our home run was to gain as much education as you possibly can because that's the way and the only way you're going to get out of the ghetto, be able to help your family, be able to raise your family is by getting as much education as you can. Um, Mr. Mm -hmm. Clark supported me when I... Uh, was a student because I was a very um, a very active student. Um, there were times when um, there was one of the major controversies that was going on at Eastside, such as the uniforms, because Mr. Clark would always say to us <laughs> things like, "You think you're so fine with those sassoons on you, um, you're behind, but you have nothing in your mind." So he was basically mm -hmm. telling us that instead of us concentrating on our education, we were concentrating on our clothes. And that was one of the major controversies because he wanted us to all wear uniforms. However, with the downtown Patterson community where students would buy their clothes, 
and, you know, had uh, they were really expensive and things of that nature, Mr. Clark wanted us to, you know, hone in on our education and not try to compete with other kids who are wearing, the, you know, the high-fashion clothes or the high-fashion sneakers during that time. Because also during that time, a lot of students were getting robbed and had their sneakers stolen or their gold chains stolen or their high-fashion jackets or coats. And, you know, it was a lot of that going on. So Mr. Clark was striving to change things. And so during that time of him implementing the uniforms, my mother couldn't um, afford to buy, you know, my uniform. Mr. Clark's office and Mr. Clark, they bought my my school uniforms for me. And so, you know, it was that type of support that Mr. Clark gave me in order for me to be, help me to gain as much education and to be able to concentrate on school rather than trying to figure out what am I going to wear and do I have to, you know, compete with the other kids as far as clothing was concerned. Um, Mm -hmm. Mr. Clark also, yes, go ahead. No, I I just wanted to to make a point because um, listening to what you're talking about in terms of the environment of the school and and how it was portrayed, Mm -hmm. not just in Patterson but outside of Patterson, you would think that Mr. Clark was brought to deal with those kind of situations, yet, in the film, Lean on Me, he's getting a lot of backlash from from the district, from the you know the parent teachers association, uh, and, and one looking at all this, and they say to themselves, well, if there's a school that is in such dire straits, you have the coming and dealing with that. Why the heck is he facing resistance? Did you, as a student there, understand or were, were aware of some of the backlash he was getting, and why? Yes. Um... I think, well, this is the thing. Mr. Clark was working in the Patterson school system already. And it doesn't, in the movie, if you're going by what the movie says, um, it appeared that he was working at a, a, you know, elementary school that was predominantly white, the way that it is displayed in the movie. However, the real deal is that Mr. Clark worked at public school number six, which is right in the heart of the ghetto of Patterson, New Jersey, um, on Carroll Street, and it's school number six is basically the middle school that was really compared to Eastside High School. So the same problems that were going on in Eastside High School was also going on at school number six because you had the siblings, the younger siblings of the students who went to Eastside who also attended school number six. So Mr. Clark then was in the process of turning and actually turned school number six around when he was the principal at school number six. So Mr. Clark just took his leadership style, his skills, and transferred them to Eastside High School. So they already knew what type of principal he was, and they knew that he would come in and do what he did. And so the thing of it is is that once Mr. Clark got to Eastside High School and truly realized the depth of the, the problems that were going on, you know, he had, there were teachers at Eastside High School who were not teaching students. There were teachers at Eastside High School who were dating and impregnating students. There were teachers at Eastside High School who were selling drugs, doing drugs. But then you also had a vast majority of teachers who were there for the students, who wanted to help teach, you know, the students to learn and was a support system for students. But you had that element of students and the element of the negative teachers and administrators who were not doing right by those students who wanted to learn. So Mr. Clark had to come in and clean house. Now, Mr. Clark didn't take no punches, so he cleaned house as soon as he got there. 
So with those 300, you know, within the first two weeks of school, those 300 students that he had kicked out of Eastside, that's when, you know, they he was he, they really then started to understand that this man was real. And so not only did he kick the students out, but there were also a bunch of teachers. There was over 100 teachers who left Eastside during his first year because they, Mr. Clark was the type of leader that you were either – on my train or you're getting off and you're getting off either by me kicking you out <laughs> or by me escorting you to the door but you're, you're not going to stay here at Eastside High School. So that's where a lot of the backlash came from in the sense of he didn't hold any punches and he held everybody accountable, students including administrators and teachers. So that's where a lot mm -hmm. of the backlash came from. And, and at what point did the state start to take um, actually they started, they threatened to take over the school right when, right during 1982-83 because the teacher had gotten stabbed. There was a lot of race riots and things of that nature that were going on that, you know, that's not in the, in the Lean On Me movie. They really, they didn't take it over until after Mr. Clark left. So, you know, they, they were threatening that for a while. So that wasn't anything new. Okay. And so fast forward to from 82, 83 to 89, uh, and you're graduating. Okay. Uh, uh, I actually graduated in 1986. Oh, okay. Hi. Oh. Hi, Pinky. This is Leslie. Hey, again. Leslie. Hey, I just wanted to um, make sure we uh, included that not only did they threaten to take the school over when he was um, um, uh, whatever, appointed, appointed mm -hmm. principal, but we had a black superintendent in Napier, right. Superintendent Napier, whose son also went to Eastside High School. To Eastside High All three of the right. kids, yep. Mm -hmm. Right. And, uh, and another point is that that was the first year that they were going to start um, preparing for the HESPA test, where all the graduates mm -hmm. had to take right. a test in order to graduate. So the school... Um, was now being um, ac held accountable for right. the kids, the kids' scores. So this was the first time the state were, was making the, the teachers accountable and administrators, and that was the political back backstory. So if you want to delve mm -hmm. into that, um, I'm going to put myself on mute. Okay. Well, the, uh, so, so, Dr. Miller, if you want, you can touch upon that, and and then because we have about 15 minutes, I, I do want to segue after that into the book, into some of the lives of the people who graduated, et cetera. Right. Um, like I, I stated earlier, um, I came in as a scared little freshman, and the movie was basically about my graduating class, so the students who came in in 1982 who then were to graduate in 1986. And like uh, Leslie was saying, that is a time where uh, students and teachers and administrators were now being held accountable because prior to that they were not. Um, and so the state basically stated if the students cannot, you know, pass this particular test, then they cannot graduate. And so you had students who were at Eastside High School when Mr. Clark got there who were slated as seniors in, as, as far as the amount of time that they were there, but they only had 15 and 20 credits. And you had 20 and 20 and 21-year-olds in school with 13 and 14-year-olds, you know, and it just didn't mix. And so the student climate was, it was scary. You had students who, for instance, I was in, I remember clearly, <laughs> I was in Spanish. And in my Spanish class, we had a teacher, her name was Miss Mellie. She was the sweetest teacher. 
and I was in the classroom with upperclassmen. And so those students would come in, and they would say they didn't bring their book. And Miss Melly, being a nice person that she was, she would go in the closet to go get the book for them. These upper-class students, as she turned her back to go in the closet, they would close the door and lock her in the closet. So now oh, wow. I'm sitting there, yeah, I'm sitting there as a scared little freshman. I'm like, okay, I'm in here trying to learn Spanish. I can't learn Spanish from my teacher because she's now locked in the closet, and the upperclassmen mm. are sitting there laughing. So it's, it's, it was that type of env- environment that we were in that Mr. Clark had to get those students out of there. So... You know, the state was now holding students and the teachers and administrators accountable for learning, and thank God that they did because now Mr. Clark, once he got those students out of there, although, let me clarify, a majority of those students were allowed to come back, but they were then weeded out because they couldn't graduate on time. If you have 15 Mm -hmm. credits and you've been at ESOS for four years, what are you doing or what have you been doing? And so to segue into my, my research, into my book, which you said you wanted to do, I mm-hmm. um, was blessed to, uh, I really listened to Mr. Clark, and the words that he said didn't just go in one ear and out the other. I really listened to him in the sense of, you know, gaining as much education as I possibly could. And I thank God that I was able to go to Georgia State, at, well, after um, graduating from Eastside High School, I went to Montclair State University where I received my bachelor's degree, then went back to Montclair State where I received my master's degree and moved to Georgia and ended up receiving my Ph.D. in educational policy studies. And I actually wrote my dissertation on Mr. Clark and the legacy of Mr. Clark and the administrators, teachers, um, and the students, and I felt sharing the profound experiences that my classmates and I had during that time um, was, you know, it's, it's, it, it, was, it was amazing to find out the impact that he had on the teachers, administrators, and the, te- and the students. I interviewed um, 13 students, and I also interviewed 10 administrators and teachers who were there during the time and actually prior to Mr. Clark, during Mr. Clark's tenure, and after Mr. Clark. And I also was blessed to be able to interview Mr. Clark. Um, and basically, you know, I talked and talked to the students, administrators, and the teachers about the impact of Mr. Clark. Was it good, bad, or indifferent? Of his leadership style, his management style, and working with him. And it was an amazing journey to find out all the back matter and all of the backstories that we as students didn't know what was going on. Um, what was, you know, as far as the teachers who were there, um, who could really speak to the incidents that happened that they showed at least in the movie. For instance, with the fire um, chief and the arguments that were going back and forth and all of the political and the backlash and the bureaucratic stuff that was going on, the teachers who I interviewed shared with me about the code that they had to to go by. They shared with me information about the fact that there are 38 entry doors into Eastside High School and maybe five of them worked, which meant that um, you could not lock the door from the inside of the building. You could only lock it from the outside. 
So basically what that meant was that students could push open the door and allow other people, drug dealers or whomever, to come into the building. And so that's why when you see it in the movie as far as Mr. Clark, you know, running and, you know, keeping putting the locks on the doors was because students would then go push the door, let the other students in, and they would come in either to fight students, come in to either sell drugs or do other negative things. And so there was no other way Mr. Clark saw at that time to really keep the good students who are trying to learn in the school and the bad students out of the school. Um, mm-hmm. I had one I teacher. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, I want you to talk about some of the, the, the students, some of the success stories of the ones that you interviewed. What are some of them doing now? Oh, my God. Uh, we have some phenomenal classmates. Um, one, actually, there's a bunch of classmates that I have. Um, the, one of the students, his name is the T.D. Moody. He was actually a student at Eastside High School when the movie was being filmed, and he is currently a principal Eastside High School. So oh, wow. it's amazing. Yeah, it, it's amazing how it just came full circle in the sense that you had a student who was under Mr. Clark's tutelage, and now he is one of the main leaders at Eastside High School who is really striving to um, really help students, you know, be successful. It's amazing. I have another classmate, um, and I can't say her last name because she's over in Dubai, but her name is Elena, and she was under Eastside, at Eastside High School, and she is actually working with the royal family of Dubai, and she came wow. from Eastside High School. Um, I have another classmate. His name is Wilson Santos, and he is actually one of the founders of the Dominican one of the Dominican gangs that, you know, at Eastside High School because one thing that they really didn't talk about in the movie was the race riots that were going on, like the Dominicans against the Jamaicans or the Puerto Ricans. There was a lot of that going on. And he was one of the founders of the Dominican gang, and he is now an English teacher teaching at Montclair State University. Um, I have another classmate, uh, Mike Williams, who is working for a 500 um, a Fortune 500 company. He's an executive for another company. I have another classmate, Vaughn McCoy, who is phenomenal just just by being who he is. He's an attorney. Um, he's actually um, the president of PSENG uh, for their finances, and it's it's uh, it's just I have classmates who are lawyers, doctors, teachers, and then I have just classmates who are just raising their families and being great citizens of this world and they're they're you know doing some some great things so it's amazing amazing and what is your relationship now with Dr. Clark do you keep in touch with him um i spoke to Mr. Clark a couple of months ago his birthday was may 7th so i called him and said happy birthday he's doing pretty well he's actually he's he is alive because a lot of people are wondering if he's still alive. He's actually out in Gainesville, Florida, and he is—he's re- retired and he's loving life and and you know he's just as spicy as ever. Because if you get an opportunity to read my book, I um, for his interview, I just let him go. I just let him you know say everything he needed to say, and then I transcribed it verbatim and just put it in the in the dissertation because he's just as phenomenal as he was back then 
almost 30 years ago, and he still keeps up with education. You know, he talks about Obama. He talks about the state of education today. He talks about what, you know, what parents should should not be doing for their children. He's still, he's still, you know, he's still, he's still a saving grace to me. Yeah, was it difficult getting him to agree to to do the interview with you? Um, at first, <laughs> at first it was because he was trying to figure out, well, Pinky, what do you, what do you want, you know? And I'm like, well, Mr. Clark, I'm working on my, you know, my PhD. He's like, that's great, you know. Um, and I said, I would really like to interview you for my dissertation. I said because I believe that you still have a strong voice, and what you did. Unfortunately, he was vilified in the media for all of the negative things, but end of the day, it was about the students and how he loved and cared for the students. And he knew that, you know, he used so many different strategies at Eastside High School that I believe that they could use in schools today, um, especially if you have 4,000 students, you know, just roaming the halls. And if students are just roaming the halls, you know, trying to go to class, that's where a lot of the fights and things happen because you have students kind of just milling around. The simple thing of walk to the right, where he had all of the students to walk to the right, and teachers had to stand in the middle as a directional so that students would walk to the right. That calmed down so much chaos, so much chaos. Another strategy Mr. Clark used of singing the alma mater, which maybe people may look at as something that's small, but that built so much pride in the students of Eastside High School that sometimes when we have our reunions, of course, we sing our alma mater, but there are tears that are rolling down people's faces because they truly understand that we had to sing that alma mater in English and or in Spanish at a, at a football game or a basketball game, win or lose, and that just had us come together as a unit and as a family. And that, I mean, people, they sing our alma mater all over this world, and they think that, you know, they know it better than we do. But that was one another strategy that he used. So... Another strategy he used was to clean up the school because at Eastside there was a lot of graffiti that was going on, and Mr. Clark said, you know, he got all of the graffiti artists together, and he brought them together and said, you know what, you have a talent, and instead of defacing our school, I want you to do something that's beautiful. I want you to create murals that's going to, you know, increase the pride in Eastside High School. So the school, they started to clean up the school, and now we started to see, instead of seeing ugly graffiti all over the place, we started to see beautiful murals that was done by the students at Eastside High School. So it, it was just, it was amazing. And then, of mm. course, holding students and teachers accountable for their actions. Just as he would, you know, dogmatically talk to a student, he would also show them love. But he let them know, okay, this is, he was laying down the law, as he said, you know, as he titled his book. But, you know, he just really, really held students, teachers, and administrators accountable. The one other major thing that he did was he was omnipresent, which meant Mr. Clark never stayed in his office. When students were doing things or, you know, what they should not be doing, Mr. Clark was coming around the, you know, a corner, around the corner with his bullhorn. He, he was always with us. He was in the um, cafeteria, or he was out in the hallway, or he was in the teacher's classroom. So during the time that we were in school, we always saw him. So we were like, okay, we can't, if we were even thinking about doing something negative, we couldn't do it because here comes Mr. Clark. So he was just, he was, he was amazing. What was your uh, lasting words of time, the last time you spoke with him? What, what stuck out from the conversation? Um... 
that he's doing well. You know, he's 70, I think 75 right now. And the fact that he has all of, you know, <laughs> as one thing he said to me um, was, because I was telling him, Mr. Clark, you're not done. You know, you're not done. Your story, you're not done. He said, Pinky, I'm done. I said, no, you're not, Mr. Clark. I said, because at this point, what has happened, I said, you have passed the bullhorn over to your students. And it's now our time because just like you allowed us to lean on you, now we have to now pay it forward so that people can now lean on us. And so we're taking the things that you taught us, and we're now being positive and doing great things in this world so that we can show that, you know what, education is your way out of the ghetto. You know, getting the education is the best thing for you because nobody can take that from you once you get it. Mm-hmm. And once you know better, you, you can do better. No, that's go fine. Go ahead, finish that comment. That's a, that's an important line. You should finish that. No, I was just saying, once you know better, you can do better. Yes. Um, what yeah. did you think of the movie? Um, I love the movie personally. Um, I think it 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 didn't tell the whole story, and you, it, it's amazing because even from talking from my informants from my from my uh, research, a lot of the students love the movie because, of course, you know, the characters in the movie actually depicted a lot of the students, like with Kanisha, who was a pregnant student. There was a lot of um, high, there was high school, preg- you know, a lot of cases of students who were pregnant, a lot. So it was a high, high um, number of high school pregnancies to the so much to the point that they had to create a pregnancy school in Patterson that was called SAGE for the students who were pregnant. So, and then um, with the Sam character, um, there was a lot of students who were either selling drugs or doing drugs, and so that was another character who was, you know, who depicted a lot of the students. Um, But I thought that they did a great job with the movie. However, a lot of the teachers and administrators didn't, that I interviewed did not particularly care for the movie in the sense that they thought that um, that the movie made Eastside appear worse than what it was. I would personally disagree with that because I think they didn't tell the whole story because they didn't talk about the race riots. They didn't necessarily talk about the, the teachers who were dating Students. So they didn't, they didn't talk about a lot of the other things that I feel that they should have talked about. The other main thing about the movie, unfortunately, well, fortunately for Warner Brothers, they, the movie grossed over $31 million back in 1989. Wow. East High School did, yeah, back in 89. And so it's almost 30, almost, well, actually this 2014 is the 25th anniversary of the Lean on Me movie. So it's been playing for 25 years. It was just on television, I think, a week or two ago. So people are still who are, you know, are still obtaining and gaining residuals and royalties from the movie, right? Eastside High School does not get one red cent. The students at Eastside High School do not get one red cent. The Patterson's public, uh, Patterson education system, they don't get anything. Unfortunately, Mr. Clark sold his rights to the movie back in 1989 because he didn't think he was doing anything special because, as I said before, he just took, you know, his leadership style that he was doing at public school number six and just transferred it over to Eastside High School. He didn't think he was doing anything special, and that's amazing to me. And so I'm in the process. My company know our story. We are in the process of raising $10,000 because we want to give 
ten $1,000 scholarships back to the students, at college-bound students at Eastside High School. So if anyone goes to my website, which is no-our-story.com, you can make a tax-deductible um, donation because we want to give back to Eastside High School. Unfortunately, Warner Brothers didn't, so we have to take it up, you know, take up set uh take up the mantle and do it ourselves. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit more about the, the, the book. How is it doing? Where are you selling it? What is your goal with it? Um, this is actually one of two books. <laughs> um, my goal, honestly, because I believe that um, because the book chronic- chronicles the impact of Mr. Clark's leadership and what he had on his students and those who worked at Eastside during his tenure between 1982 and 89. I talk about his failures and his successes and why he works for, for so many of us as a principal, as an administrator, because the amazing thing is that the teachers, the nine teachers and teachers and administrators who were teachers during Mr. Clark's tenure, they're all now administrators and or principals now. And so they have stated to me that, he had a great impact on their lives, good, bad, or indifferent, because Mr. Clark was not liked by everybody. Um, he did, you know, a lot of the things that he did in his dogmatic style of leadership was not always pretty, um, but he still encouraged them to move on and stay in education. And I feel that uh, the reshaping of education in the United States must start at home because, you know, it, ta- you know, it, it really starts at home in order for – like, for instance, and I'll just to brag a little bit about my children, um, I have five children. Um, my oldest son, who was a gift, a wedding gift, he attended Atlanta Technical College and graduated. My oldest daughter, she attended Georgia State University and now is working on her master's degree at UGA. My third oldest daughter is a senior at Georgia State right now. Um, and then I have two elementary school kids who are doing extremely well. And so the conversations that I had with my children when they were younger was not, are you going to college? The question is, what college are you going to? And that makes mm. a huge difference. And so we, oh, my children know they're going to college, and they've gone to college. They've graduated from college. One's working on her master's, and prayerfully would then go on to get her Ph.D., prayerfully. But that's totally up to her. Um, but I believe, you know, so it starts at home. But it's also, you know, the job begins with the parent and the student, and the parent has to be available to that student, and the parent has to hold that student accountable about getting their education. Um, But I also believe it takes a village and to make sure that students, you know, become successful citizens of this world. So, you know, in my neighborhood where I live, the children in my neighborhood know that, yep, there's Miss Pinky, and she's going to talk to them about going to college and going to school because that's what I am and that's who I am. So I believe that, you know, we all must take our education seriously. We must pass it on and let these kids know that, just because they might they might come from a poverty stricken area or environment that does not dictate their future and that if I can come from Patterson, New Jersey where my mother raised six kids by herself, um, no father figure in the home, there was all different kind of negative things in my environment, but guess what? A man with a bullhorn helped save my life for me to go on to get my education, just like many of my other four thousand plus classmates. 
You know, we know that we came from Eastside High School and that our negative circumstances did not and do not dictate our future. So, mm. Are you a Baptist preacher by any chance? No, but you know what? <laughs> I just came from church, so it's all good. <laughs> no, I, you I'm know sitting there listening to you, and I, and I said either she is a Baptist preacher or she should be, or perhaps she really took a liking to those church revivals that Mr. Clark used to bring into Eastside High. Well, well, amen. You better believe it. Um, you know what? My aunt told she yeah, you, you never know. I might be in somebody's pulpit one day, so maybe. Yeah, that's funny. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I also have my other book that I wrote, um, and it's actually titled uh, Life After Lean on Me, the Dr. Pinky Miller story, where I share uh, my life story. Um, And I talk about the challenges and the things that happened to me as a little girl. Um, And I'll just read the back matter for you, and it just basically states that Dr. Pinky is a former student of the real bullhorn and baseball toting icon from the 1989 film Lean on Me with Dr. Joe Lewis Clark, born into a crowded single-parent household in the inner city of Patterson, New Jersey. Young Pinky navigated a hopeless childhood craving for closeness to her overworked mother, escaped from years of molestation by those she trusted, and to meet her unknown father whose absence from her life painfully reminded her that she was a mistake. One day, Pinky stepped into high school, and a principal with a bullhorn changed her life. You were born, Mr. Clark Bellowed, with two strikes against you, being poor and being black. Don't strike out. Get your education. Your education is your home run out of the ghetto. Encouraged by caring teachers and inspired and empowered by Dr. Clark's sharp admonition, personal attention, and fatherly love, Pinky graduated Eastside High School and went on to earn her B.A. in communications, her M.A. in counseling and school guidance, and a Ph.D. in educational policy studies in higher education. After finding fulfillment in Mr. Clark's invitation to lean on him, Pinky Miller also found her purpose and discovered that no person is a mistake. This is her story. So that's my other book. Wow. Well, I I think you really are quite inspiring with with your story and the way that you tell it. I think there's there, there's not just people out there who have a story, but you also have to be an effective storyteller. And I think you have a very effective, compelling way. Uh, especially with the inflection in your voice, you go up and down at the right moments, and so it, it's hard to, on my part, to, to interview someone like you because you really just want to listen to them um, instead of interviewing them because you can really go on and, and, and be very effective, especially in your public speaking. I don't know if you have any videos of you being on stage or if you're ever going to be, in, uh, you know, speaking to someone in New York, New Jersey. But if you are, I want to come and listen to you. Um, oh, thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Truly. Yeah, and actually, I, I was... I the, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, I actually think that the biggest story about um, Dr. Joe Clark's Eastside High and Lean on Me is really changing mm-hmm. the narrative because um, a lot of people don't uh, think that you can have a positive narrative in a very negative situation. Um, right. I think that listening to your story and, and the lessons from Dr. Joe Clark, I actually listened to an interview that he did uh, on a local news affiliate, um, and this was probably back in the 80s, uh, I think mm-hmm. it was PBS. 
and he was talking mm-hmm. about the movie and his educational philosophy. Um, and, you know, at one point, you know, he only had to do what he needed to do. And right. you have a situation that is so dire, the state's about to come in and take it over. Why not go to the nth degree to do the best you can to fix it? Because it's, it really is your last resort. And I don't think a lot right. of people process that. We, we, you know, many of us, you know, we've gone to great schools, and even if they weren't wonderful, you know, picket fence schools, they, they didn't have the threat of being taken over by the state. Um, right. And, and so those, you know, in those unique situations, I think the, the situation developed to where he did the best he could, I think, uh, and the students right. kind of rode with it, and then you have success stories like yourself. Right. The other thing I think that's amazing is that people can look at Eastside High School, especially because they know the movie, but they could really look at Eastside and look at the strategies Mr. Clark used, and we are now a testament of the things that work. And you, if you talk to any student that went to Eastside High School, we have the same story. And it, because he was a phenomenon, good, bad, or indifferent, we knew it was going to get suspended. We knew what the rules and policies were. We had to sing the alma mater. We, we, it, it, he, what he did worked, and I think it can work in this, you know, in the school systems today. I really do. Mm-hmm. So, as we kind of segue out here, give us a plug with your website and all the information. You were starting to talk about something about public speaking. I don't know if you want to develop that. Yes, I am actually. That's my. That's what I'm doing now. I actually uh, just came back from Hawaii. I was invited to Hawaii to be a keynote speaker at the PACLIM conference this past May, which was a phenomenal experience. And um, I'm actually prayerfully will be speaking to teachers in South Carolina in October. Um, it, it's just been an am- amazing journey. Um, and so that is what I'm doing now. So I am as an author and a motivational speaker and to talk about the things at, that happened at its life after Lean on Me. Um, so that is what I'm doing. And people, if you could, please go to my website, which is www.know-our-story.com. And you can get all the information. Also, on my website, if you wanted to really find out what happened to the real students of Eastside High School, I have a profile of, of a bunch of maybe over 30 or 40 of my classmates, and you can click on the, uh, the icon for profiles or you know, for alumni, and you can see their picture and their profile and, you know, what they're doing now. So if you're interested, you know, you can please do that, and that way you can see that testament of Mr. Clark's work. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and if you can, when you do those speaking engagements, that you can try to videotape them. Because I really think you should really submit your stuff to, like, a speaker's bureau um, and, and try to, to, to do this on a more national scale. Yep, that's the plan. That is definitely the plan. All right. Well, Dr. Pinky Miller, your story, your life, uh, life after lean on me, no-our-story.com, all of those links will be provided on the Gist of Freedom's uh, website after we are able to process this interview. It was such a pleasure speaking with you to to get a, a sense of what it was like growing up uh, and, and going through Eastside High School and getting a behind-the-scenes story uh, of that movie, Lean on Me. I truly appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I truly appreciate it. All right. Thank you so much. Um, thank you. All right. Bye. Bye-bye.
My name is Roy Paul. You are listening to the Gist of Freedom Block Talk Radio Show. Uh, we were just finishing up this uh, interview with Dr. Pinky Miller, uh, who was one of the students who graduated under Dr. Joe Clark in the movie that was famous, Lean on Me. Um, today's sponsor is Audible.com, the leading provider of spoken audio entertainment and information. You can listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Get a free book when you sign up for a 30-day free trial at www.audiobooksblackhistory.com. Again, today's sponsor is Audible.com. From everyone at the Gist of Freedom, thank you for listening and enjoy the rest of your Sunday. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.